Let's welcome in Chloe Brown. She joins us now on Toronto Today. I hope you had a great three-day weekend. Lovely to have Absolutely. you on. Thank you. Stellar. And uh, Noka DeGroove joins us on Think Tank as well. Good morning. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Lovely to have you. And uh, Steve Pakin back making new versions of the agenda on TV Ontario, which you can see at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And he joins us also after a long weekend quit. Why would it not be for him as well? Exactly. Uh, here's Steve Pakin. Nice to have and you. I have, I have two good knees as well. You're a lucky man. I'm getting listeners telling me also, uh, while you're down, get a vasectomy. I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. I don't think you can... <laughs> Uh, healthcare hasn't dropped off that much in this province that you can request an additional surgery in addition to the one you're getting at lunchtime. I don't know what that says about my parenting either. Um, I might be getting this for my wife. And I, I she may have a burner phone. Who's who's finished the bear? Has anyone finished both seasons of the bear? Only season one. Okay, I think it gets way better in season. Season two is a like a like lightning. It's great, Chloe. It's fantastic. Nobody else has right. I haven't seen one episode of it. You'll really enjoy it. It's really good. I really do like it. Um, I would recommend Drops of God. I just finished watching that. That's phenomenal. Best thing Best thing I've seen in years. Years? Ooh. Yeah, that sounds like a prisoner of the moment type. Uh, that's the best lunch I've ever had was with Greg Brady. That's not true. Um, okay. Okay. Drops of God. Oh, it's on Apple TV. I'm getting a look at the trailer right now. Okay. Yeah. We'll give it a run. Um, all right. This um, this story uh, really manifested itself over the weekend. I'll start with you, Noka. This uh, girl charged with murder in the Toronto swarming case got rearrested at a, an assault at Wilson Station and a stabbing assault at that on Thursday. And we don't find out that this is one of the eight girls alleged to have been involved in the swarming and killing of, of the Toronto homeless men. Without prejudicing that case, I think two things leaped off the page at most people. One are we getting the most out of the Youth Criminal Justice Act? And two, um, whether or not she violated any forms of her bail, like this sounds like somebody that needs help and just being out on bail doesn't sound like she's getting the help she needs if a second violent act, and again, I'm not prejudicing the case, was potentially committed. How do you view it? So I, I'm, I'm really struggling to understand what's going on with young, young people today. It seems like there's there's a lot of, there's a lack of emotion regulation skills. And I feel like we're not teaching that. We're not giving young people the opportunity to learn that. And you're seeing this come up over and over again. You're seeing this in the violence in schools and the, the big fights. You're seeing this in, in all sorts of um, violent incidents that are happening across the city and across all the cities. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, like you know, we talk a lot about about bail reform. Um, but you know, what are we? What are we? What kind of support are we giving people while they are out on bail? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there there isn't any support for for anyone, um, even if if the purpose is to is to protect the community. So. I don't know. I don't know where we're going with this, Greg. Chloe, I, I look for the balancing act, and you and I have talked about young people several times on the show. Um, any youth at, in any generation, they're still finding their way at 14. They need guidance more than anything else. But there is that balancing act with where um, with where the public must just be must just be kept safe. This is a really difficult one because I don't want people in jail unless they are violent. I don't want mischief crimes in jail, administrative offenses. But this this obviously jarred a lot of people over the weekend to find this out. Absolutely. And I think this is an argument for better funding in the parole and probation system. Mm-hmm. And this 
where our Ontario court systems have been dramatically underfunded during the Ford administration. And we're seeing how that impacts basically our living as working class people, because without those proper safety nets of getting them housing, mental health support, employment, then you're really left with just kicking the can down the road. So this is one of those issues where I am arguing that we don't need to, I don't want to say defund the police, but when we're talking about policing, we actually have to talk about the court system as well, because what's going into policing can be split and go into the court system and help probation and parole officers who have to deal with these issues before they hit the street. It's such a tricky thing, Stephen. You and I are of the vintage that we remember the Young Offenders Act, uh, and it was sort of torched for the Youth Criminal Justice Act of 2003. And the concept seemed to be we're going we're gonna to rehabilitate young people uh, a little more, you know, um, considerably than just keep people in custody until a sentence is over. But in a case like this is a very extreme case, obviously. Well, you made a very good point in saying, let's remember, uh, everybody's innocent until proven guilty in this criminal justice system. Let's also remember that we don't want to overinterpret on the basis of one instance uh, what might be wrong with an entire system. We don't want to over-infer what's going on here. Having said that, I like Noah's comments a lot. And that is, uh, and I don't want to sound like the old guy saying, get off my lawn, but I am, I am... I'm losing my capacity to be astonished by how badly behaved I see many young people either on the subways or the streetcars yeah. or, or just anywhere for that matter these days. And it's almost as if somebody didn't take them aside at some point in their lives and say, you know, you really can't be playing your boombox at, at 11 when you're on a subway. You really can't be screaming and carrying on and acting like you own the place on a streetcar. There are certain expectations for behavior that we all have in order to be a civilized society. And and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with Noah on this one. I think we've got to go somewhere on that. I know, but I is that Steve, do you think at all that society in general? I see 45 year olds on the subway playing music and I see more uh, not necessarily to me because I'm a good driver, more fingers flipped and more angry horns honk, not just to tap. It just feels like there's a li- little bit of a lack of civility, and I don't know what's brought it on. But, it, hey, it's in the water supply for young people. You're absolutely right about that. I'll give you that. It's not just them, for sure. Yeah. Chloe, is this, like I said, is, this is something that I think you made the great point, and I would love for the Ontario Liberals, the Ontario NDP, to push the Ford government more on these kind of things. They're more complex, and they're not, they've got more layers to them. And maybe they're not as simple for the general public to understand. Ultimately, Chloe, I think they're more important for, for how we live. I would like to lean into what's being said about youth development, because I would argue there's not a lot of spaces for young people to be together. They are forced into a lot of adult spaces, and they mimic a lot of adult behaviors. So when I think about like even having a skating rink, an arcade, there are various places that young people could congregate now they're really forced to be amongst us and spend money like us and honestly it's a argument for more third spaces i do want to see less young people out in adult spaces because it's like at 33 i do see them out at midnight and it's like you're 17 what are you doing out here you know what i mean and it's because there's no spaces in their community like the community rec centers are shut down the library shut down and that leaves them coming to the malls. It leaves them coming to the restaurants and all those places that they shouldn't be. So, yeah, there's a larger argument at play about probation, parole, youth spaces, mental health services. Mm-hmm. And 
the schools uh, because the teachers have lost control. And Nilka, this was a lot of your bread and butter. You were school board trustee for eight years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's all COVID related, but for two and a half years, there was just not. And when we think about those years that get blown up and all the things that we love doing, that balance of academics, but also I'm in a club, I'm on a sports team, I'm taking a field trip. That saves kids from everything that Steve and Chloe are documenting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's the lack of community, right? I think, it, you know, what Chloe was mentioning about um, the lack of spaces, we, we don't have a lot of community connection anymore. And when kids are growing up um, in, in environments where they feel like they have to take on the world by themselves, you're going to see um, bad behavior. You're going to see, because they're, they're little, right? And they're taking on this big, bad world and they don't know how to, how to manage it. They don't want to regulate emotion because they're too young for that. And clearly we're not teaching them enough about that. So, you know, I think, I think there's, you know, there, there's needs for, for more supports um, in terms of um, uh, parole officers. There's, we talked about this. We need more social workers in schools. We don't have enough. We just don't. Yeah. Social workers, counselors, just mentors. It yeah. felt like every we're joking, every television show, uh, Steve, I'll come to you again, from the 70s and 80s, it felt like there was always a teacher, a mentor with a drama club or a school play or a basketball team, the white shadow. There was somebody that just <laughs> swooped in and, and basically helped kids do the right thing and get them on the right path. And if it's not, if you're not getting it in the home, I, we have great teachers. But they're getting tapped so thin by being able to. They can only coach so many teams and run so many school plays. I agree. Uh, we can't. We cannot. We, we have certain expectations of teachers to teach, and we want them to do that, and we want them mm-hmm. to do it well because we need our students to come out educated. But we can't expect them to be the kids' parents as well. Parents have some responsibilities here, and as tough as it is, I know parents are juggling so much these days. Everybody's juggling so much these days, but. Mm-hmm. Who said it takes a village? We really got to come together better on this. All right, let's move. Let me uh, get to Chloe Brown on this one. David Coletto from Abacus Data put out a poll, and I'm fascinated to start with you, let you lead off as to what you see in this particular poll. They were re-asked questions from last year on whether Canadians think the federal government is focused too much, too little, or the right amount on different issues. Is there any one of those categories that were like, 12, 13 categories, all told, from the rising cost of living at the top to Russia and Ukraine at the bottom. Anything jump out at it and you say the liberals are missing the boat on this one and they need to have a better focus? I think that there's an opportunity to try to figure out what the federal government's role is, because when it comes to the rising cost of living, I don't really see them being as immediately involved in that as the provincial or the municipal governments. So it's one of those questions of like what I wish the feds would do better national policies. Yes. But I'm also just mm. kind of resigned to like, that's not in their scope of practice. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with the poll on everything because those are my feelings as well. So shout out to David Coletto for the accuracy, but I don't know. I'm kind of hoping the liberals will just take more leadership on being the national leader. Right now, I just see them meddling in petty fights with Polyev and the municipalities on trying to deliver housing accelerator funds. So it's just like, I wish 
there'd be more leadership and intergovernmental affair work. Noka, you're out there on uh, X, and I think you give some great advice. And, and I wish, uh, I, I think the federal liberals should listen to somebody like you who's got the best interests of the party at heart. But you see the four bottom issues, don't you? Russia, Ukraine, indigenous reconciliation, reducing racism and equality, climate change. I think we all want to have a focus on those things, but mm-hmm. I don't think we think any of those all really important things should come at the cost of, of people's pocketbooks or our health care system. And, and that's what they're telling the liberals, clearly. So people, when people are struggling financially, everything else gets put on hold. And I think that's the unfortunate uh, situation Justin Trudeau and his government find themselves in. They have a huge communication problem. And they also have a delay problem. And the best example of this is the housing crisis. We've been talking about the housing crisis for so long before Justin Trudeau decided to, you know, first admit mm-hmm. that there's a housing crisis and then actually try to do something about it. Here's where I disagree with Chloe. The, the federal government actually has a lot of power to get municipalities and provinces to move with uh, funding. And that's exactly what they started trying to do with with the housing crisis. And to be honest, it's working. You know, we have seen some shifts in in policy making when it comes to housing. And one of the biggest biggest um, costs uh, for for people in, in in Ontario specifically, but also all over Canada and and in the in the urban centers is housing. Right. So, and unfortunately, I'm struggling to understand where Justin Trudeau's government thinks they're going to get votes from for the next election. Because if, if you watch politics at all, if you, if you live in it, it seems like they've, they've just upset just about everybody. Yeah. Um, Steve, I, I, I've seen so many people say, uh, make the point even about climate change and we can think what we think of it, but you're going to have a tough time getting poor people um, to, to put it at the top as one of their top three issues. You're gonna have a tough people, tough time getting poor people to care about Russia v. Ukraine. Like these are just these are almost problems for people with means to me. Well, that is the problem with these numbers. And that is that all of the things that the public tell us that they are deeply concerned about right now. Rising cost of living, cost of housing, problems with the healthcare system, growing the economy. The Liberals' numbers on those major issues are not good. And the issues where the public thinks, yeah, you've probably got the balance about right. We think you're doing okay on that. Climate change, reducing racism, indigenous relations, Russia, Ukraine. Those are, at the moment, much further down the list of, public, of the public's concerns. So, um, I, once again, I'm going to side with Nuk on this one. Yeah. I think she's right. The, the, the federal government does have an ability to buy significant change. That's their big power. Not necessarily something spelled out in the Constitution, but their ability to give money to other orders of government to get change. And in fact, tonight we're going to do a show on uh, the agenda on the Housing Accelerator Fund and talk to three mayors about whether or not that's buying enough mm. housing supply and whether they're doing well on that. But, uh, you know, at, at the moment, Justin Trudeau's got to look at these numbers and think, I'm 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 underwater on the things that I need to be above water on and I'm doing okay on the stuff that people aren't that interested in. What do I do? 
All right, let's get to. I really want to get to these dangerous dogs, uh, potential for Toronto and and a list. And Chloe, I'll come to you. I I read this story wrong over the weekend too. I'm thinking dangerous dogs, like they'll name the breeds. No, they'll name the actual dogs. As in Rex lives in this neighborhood. He's bitten people before. Here's a mugshot of him. I'm like, we don't do this with people. No country does this with people or should. Are we gonna do this with our with our with our with man with man and woman's best friend? Well, as a dog owner, I think that there is value in this because there, I live at High Park and mm-hmm. there is a big issue with dogs attacking other dogs and their owners not being held responsible for it. So if this is what it's going to take as an initial step to get some order in our ecosystem, I'm for it. I'd also like to just see the City of Toronto work with the Humane Society to make training more available and work with the CNIB to get certification for actual service animals. I'm tired of seeing all animals be service animals. There needs to be regulation in the animal kingdom. I, I don't know how to properly say <laughs> it, but it's just like, it's, it's a wild west out here. Cat, cats have lobbied for that for a long, long time, uh, for, for there to be a list of dangerous dogs, even in their own household. Steve, how do you view this one? Uh, because we're running short on time, I will simply say <laughs> what she said. <laughs> and Noka. So I, I also agree with Chloe. I think I think this might be a good first step, but I don't I don't necessarily this is going I think this is going to first fix all the problems because you know people spray paint on on signs and stuff like that. So it's um, those, those signs might not survive for very long. Um, but I think there needs to be more consequences. There needs to be. There needs to be more training. There needs to be more support. Um, but certainly, you know, we have to we have to protect the public. We have to protect, you know, the little dogs. Um, that's not fair to them. And of course, the little children. That's also very, very important. Chloe, what what uh, what breed is your dog? German Shepherd Collie. She's so, a big one. So yeah, she she's <laughs> yeah she's more the more the middleweight than the uh, flyweight in terms of uh, boxing classes. Does she, that, like like would you say that there's ever other dogs that come up to to your dog and you're like I got to keep an eye on this. This is way too aggressive. Absolutely. Yeah. When it's heat season, I have to <laughs> my dog the fenceman. Uh, she's such a great girl. But, uh, there are people who have larger dogs and they just breed them. So it becomes an issue where they become a little bit more savage towards her. And yeah, it's one of those things where I think Mm. there needs to be some reigning in around, like you have a responsibility when you take on having a pet. Um, I see this story every year. It feels like, and I think I saw the three-year mark and now it's the four-year mark, but there's a story from Rob Ferguson, the Queens park bureau uh, writer in the star, Steve about the John a McDonald statue at Queens park. And by the way, any, any phrase that uses the, any sentence that uses the phrase rodent infestation, I'll read that in the Toronto star, but this, (laughs) this statue has just kind of been there. And you know how this goes. There's some people that are like, we got to honor Sir John a McDonald better than this. We can't have rodents tearing up the statue. And there's some people who are like, you know, either do something or get off the pot because it doesn't feel like the Ford government's been really brave about what they want to do with this this statue. Well, strangely enough, it's not the Ford government's decision. This actually, because the statue is sitting on what they call the precinct of the Ontario legislature, there's a subcommittee of the legislature that's responsible for this. And that committee consists of the speaker, a government member and an opposition member. And for the last four years, there's been a tie. There's been no oh. consensus about what to do. 
That's the problem. And I wrote a column about this a year and a half ago saying, saying this is a bloody embarrassment. You drive up University Avenue and you see our first prime minister, you know, covered up like this. Now, having said that, I wasn't arguing for a particular outcome. I was saying, make a decision. This looks terrible. Uh, either get rid of it or open it up or put a plaque on it contextualizing McDonald's record, but do something. We look like a laughingstock with this thing crated up like that. Is that fair, Chloe? Should they open it up to the entire legislature? Do we need a public a public survey that would cost taxpayer money? What do we need here? I think rodent infest- like infestation <laughs> is enough. We live in a city that's struggling already. Get rid of it. There's enough schools, sculptures, paintings, like figure out a different way. I just, I'm with Steve. I don't want this in my city. Manoka? I, I agree with both of them. Unfortunately, it's gone too far. Um, and there's no... I understand that we we are constantly having a public debate on these things, and this is good. It's not yeah. this particular case, but we have to have public discourse on on history. On But it doesn't need to include uh, rodent infestations. Yeah. Well, well, we all got the phrase in, so uh, I thought that was good to uh, to wrap up. Steve, I don't I don't see this ending up in Sankofa Square. I don't think we can. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. As Ronald Reagan would say, <laughs> "There you go again." <laughs> I love having all three of you on this morning. Thanks for the time. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Reg. Be well. Good luck with the surgery. Thank you, Chloe Brown, Noka DeCrube, and Steve Pakin joining us on Think Tank.